Kay McBrayer. I'm Louise Johnson. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks literary fiction. We're recording today's show on January 21st. Um, so if anything momentous has happened between now and then, it's not us. That is not our fault. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on today's show, we're discussing current affairs and news from the literary fiction world translated literary fiction, and titles that should be translated, and, of course, sharing our latest reads. But before all that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books, and so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high-stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players, but what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. So as Mary Kay said, we are going to open it with news and current affairs. And I think you've got the first one for us, right? Uh, Yes. So in case anyone hadn't heard yet, uh, something that came out this week, which is so delightful, is that the romantics called each other's names. They called each other names. And in particular, the one that stood out most to me was that William Wordsworth was called by, I think, Lord Byron, William Turdsworth. (laughs) And I just feel like that's something that everyone needs to know. Um, It's a real thing. It's a true historical fact. But um, in all seriousness, um, something that actually did happen this week that um, I think that we're all going to react to really strongly is the Missouri bill that proposes jailing library workers for recommending books that are subjectively age inappropriate. And um, Louise, as a librarian, what do you think about that? 
Uh, well, I'm quite glad that you led with this because I was too busy um, screaming slightly incoherently over the of hair. As you might gather, yeah. I think it's an appalling decision on a multitude of levels. And I really mm. hope that it stays a proposal and it doesn't go further. Um, firstly, if you work in Missouri in one of the libraries affected um, or to be affected or part of this discussion... You know, we are thinking of you because it's a horrible place emotionally and mentally to be in. Really? Uh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Um, it is, right? It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. How do you even police this or how do you make this oh, work? Exactly. It's so subjective, number one. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I just fired up about this. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait my turn. <laughs> No, 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 it's fine. Go. I'm, I'm quite pr- prepared to, like, just breathe and calm down briefly. Okay, so, number one, no one is going to, in good conscience, recommend a book that is not age-appropriate. Exactly. No one's going to do that. Least it's, of it's, all, a library It's not worker. a thing. It's not a thing. Who, and also, it's really just, it seems like a thinly-veiled sort of prejudice against I don't know I mean different or like non-heterosexual orientations and well in a sense I don't it's a like prejudice that. against literature isn't it in a way this kind of yeah thing <laughs> that can give you so many roots out of the world that you find yourself in and the only route that is deemed appropriate for you is the one that we shall let you see and I think that's just so um abhorrent on a thousand different levels in a thousand different ways in that you can say all right i this person in this um decision making place i can decide for all of you what is right and what is wrong that you should have access to how can that ever be some a a good place to end up at yeah also the person who would make those calls is not a person that I want making that call. Exactly. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. Uh, mm, it's, I'm so uh, full it's of like, bile. It's like asking the dentist <laughs> what you want to have for your shoes, you know? There's yeah. no connection there. <laughs> it's, oh. It's, yeah. So, yeah, sorry, the first couple of minutes of today's show are basically going to be us just kind of screaming and going, oh. Yeah, I'm just warped up into a stuttering rage. <laughs> It is. It is. Um, And I think as well, the big thing that really concerned me was that, you know, the whole concept of self-issue machines, you cannot have somebody stood there 24 hours a day or however many days, uh, hours you're open. You can't have someone stood there going, actually, can I just check your book before you take it out? Right. It's so... And who decides what's age appropriate? Yeah, it's such a decision to make for someone. Yeah, I mean, like, who decides what ages are appropriate for certain things is what I tried to say. Not who, yeah. but the decision of that in in general. Like, mm. I don't know, I just... But this is one of the <sighs> things that we should be leaning away as, as a society. Agreed. Away from that kind of, someone makes the call for us, but rather... Shouldn't there be bills and people working towards a system that allows you to make that call yourself, you know? Yeah. And and should books be banned mm. also? Like any books? I don't know. I don't. I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but that was one question I had. 
Yeah, so I think it's it's worthwhile um, shouting out uh, about it. And if you are in the area and you can make a difference, please consider these these um, points. And you know you'll know the situation better than um, either of us if you are there. But please, you know, talk to us about it, and we'll happily go on your behalf on this. And it's only library workers; it's not booksellers. Yeah, how how <laughs> how is that like a legitimate call to make that actually It's not you know, legitimate because because in a bookseller you're making money. Mm. So it's fine. If you're making money off of it, it's fine. <sighs> Ooh. And I'm back to the incoherent kind of spitty with rage at the mic here. Same. Okay, should we move on? <laughs> yeah. So essentially <laughs> okay. it sucks, it's lame, and if you are impacted by Ew. it, you know, we have your backs. We do. <laughs> Article right. number two, led so, by yeah. Louise. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the Booker, uh, which is the big sort of litvic prize in the UK. Um, it is essentially the kind of Oscars for literary fiction, if you've not come across it before. And it's a really interesting way of getting a, um, like a snapshot of what's going on and the titles that you should read and the titles that you should maybe think about, you know, getting on your radar at some point. Um, as someone who does a lot of reading through the local library, there's always a massive queue on these titles. So I love that because it shows how popular they are. But equally, cool. yeah. So there's like, um, I'm looking forward to uh, Bernadine Evaristo's uh, Girl, Woman, Other, which was one of the joint winners this year with Margaret Atwood's The Testaments. And... Um, I have sort of mixed uh, feelings about Margaret Atwood's win this year. I think it should have been a Bernadine Evaristo um, sort of fully on our own um, basis there. But the mm-hmm. article that I wanted to mention for our discussion today was about Lee Child. And he is um, the thriller writer, the Jack Reacher novels. Uh, he's joining the judging panel. And I think that's a really interesting call, getting someone from... Um, very commercial driven successful uh popular to use that in sort of inverted uh speech marks um onto this panel and i was sort of thinking well how is that going to impact the the titles that are picked in the future and do you think it is uh probably because i mean and i don't know a, a ton about the booker prize but i thought it was for literary fiction it is, yeah. So they're picking like the best of the literary fic. Yes. So to me, this sounds a lot like setting it up for when Bob Dylan won the Pulitzer or uh-huh. um, <laughs> for literature. Okay. Like, well, that's not really the same then. Like it's just, again, not bad or wrong, but different. And yeah. seems like a weird call. No, I, I, I don't know. I think I like to see it in um, action because you can't quite ever um, ascribe change to one person. But I would think sure. um, in this context, I would hope that maybe he would introduce that note of difference that you mentioned. And I think that could be quite an exciting thing because any award scheme, any... Um, and this ties into our first thing, right, about the people who have the right to choose... Mm-hmm. what you read and how you read it anything gets set in its ways it gets it makes certain um decisions on your behalf and i think that 
an attempt to shake that up, an attempt to kind of go, actually, we're going to listen to these um, perspectives from other voices and other places is a pretty cool mm-hmm. thing. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I think right. it's going to be one to see in practice, as it were. Sure, I can I can buy that. And I didn't... I. I guess I am a little bit more of a traditionalist than I like to admit. Uh-huh. So, well, we'll see, right? So for you, is it more like it wants to be what it says on the tin then, so to speak? I think so, but I am also, I don't know, I think I'm just kind of wary of change until it happens and proves itself to be good. Yeah, I think that is a valid point, actually. You do want to hope that these things are done with a great positive intention because I know the book had got right. a lot of um, grief um, over splitting the award last time to, as I say, Margaret Atwood and Bernadine Evaristo. So you kind of wonder, okay, is this some reaction to that? Had they planned it? Where did it come from? That and also, how do you, you, so you don't like that two people like joint won the award? No, right? I, found that, I found that a bit difficult because I don't think that um, The Testaments is Margaret Atwood's best book at all. Okay. And I, th- I think in a way they kind of um, saluted her status and her achievement rather than the, the book itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awards are weird like that because number one, we made them up. They mm. are subjective, no matter how, <laughs> no matter, matter how, how objective you try and be. Right, we try to be. So maybe they brought in Lee Child as a sort of tiebreaker judge. Like I don't oh, really know him. Fun. So right, I mean not like uh, as like to add to the ranks necessarily, but if he is a very decisive person, mm. that might be. Like if they did, if they split the award two years in a row, the whoever is in charge of the award is probably like, okay, what? <laughs> it's an award for one person. Like you can't do that. And I, I don't know what all comes with it. But if I was an, if I was a winner, I would be like, so does that mean that I, like whatever the reward is, is split in half? So I'm actually earning less than the person who got the runner-up yeah, position. I, I, or like, I, how does that work? I think it did mean that it was split so that's that's a uh it's a difficult call to um i imagine just emotionally handle at that final moment right i feel like i would be the so i don't know if you're no if you know this but um when king solomon had to decide whose mother the um, who was the baby's mother in the Bible? Yeah. And he was like, "We'll just cut the baby in half, and each of you ah. can have half of the baby." <laughs> and, and the one mom is like, "Yeah, I'm cool with that. That's fine." And the other <laughs> one is like, "Absolutely not. She can have the baby." Like, I feel like I would rather win second place than tie for first. I don't know, but I'm suddenly loving this metaphor and the way it suddenly came out. <laughs> Awards are like babies. <laughs> it's just how it is. <laughs> right. I win it all, or she can have it. Yeah. <laughs> And just this poor, confused baby somewhere in the middle just going, I just don't know what's going on. <laughs> right? Family takes all forms, you guys. Like, I can go <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, okay. so I think that kind of um, ties in as well. I don't know if you saw that Lee Child was quitting uh, writing the Reacher books and his brother no. is, is taking over the series. 
what <laughs> i know it's so interesting what I've a never... world we're living in a crazy world <laughs> it's so weird but kind of brilliant but i don't know it's it fascinates me this whole like um you can write my my hero that i came up with thing yeah it's like a passing on a legacy yeah i think a legacy is actually quite a cool way to think of it it's like his cultural legacy I mean, people do it with movie series all the time. So, but then you have like a really polarized fan base where they're like, uh, uh, no, I don't like that interpretation. So, yeah, it'd be fun to see like where the first be interesting. Um, non-Lee Child, Lee Child comes out. <laughs> right. Oh, like the sentence there got a bit complicated, but I hope everyone followed it. I mean, I was following it. Awesome. I'm into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Steve Aoki's Hero Quest at your local bookstore or online at HeroQuest.com and catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour. Hero Quest is a graphic novel that is the story of a genetically augmented metahuman named Hero who travels into the multiverse 400 years into the future to save Earth from a disaster it cannot avoid. It has everything from mutants to robots to zombies to aliens, witches, and more. It's a quest for ten rings of tremendous power from ten different worlds that will be needed to save our world from certain disaster. It's an epic journey that will require the hero named Hiro to be cursed to save the lives of billions on Earth. It's a story of heroism, wonder, betrayal, and finally, revelation. This is the hero's journey. This is Hiro's quest. So the story was imagined by the mind of Steve Aoki and written by New York Times bestselling author Jim Kruger and Steve Aoki. So make sure to check it out. And this episode comes thanks again to Steve Aoki's Hero Quest at your local bookstore or online at HeroQuest.com and catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international best-selling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tommen series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsey Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsey, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tommen series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Um, so, uh, should we move on into our discussion about translated literary fiction? Yes, let's do that. Okay. All right. So, yeah, um, translated literary fiction is the big sort of um, thrust of today's topic that we wanted to pick up on. And um, hopefully it's going to provide less, oh, and oh my God, than what we've discussed before. Um, <laughs> because it is, it's a bit more straightforward, right? A book that is translated from one... Mm language and presented into another language is uh something that you do think is a simple prospect but i think that it's superficial that reading in a way that um 
is something that we can unpick now. Translated literary fiction is difficult to find. Um, the example that I can think of here is uh, La Bastarda by Trifonia Melibeo Abono, uh, who is uh, an Equatorial Guinean woman. And it's the first novel by um, an Equatorial Guinean woman to be translated into English. It wow. is officially, yeah, I just think it's brilliant, even from that sentence, that you, you get so much about its story. Right. It is uh, officially banned in the country, though um, I did see online that it is apparently available. I, based in the UK, um, I had to order it from, I think, a seller in New York to get a look at it. Um, and as I say, I was intrigued from even just the concept of it being the first novel from that context to be translated into English and it's kind of remarkable but it's not the sort of book that I can easily find on the high street shelf here so I was wondering mm. you know Mary Kay what your thoughts would be like how do you find literary fiction does it pop up in the world for you easily um I think generally it comes to me I don't know what like I don't know how but I think um, it has so far. But I have a book, so I have a question too about why that book was banned. Do you know? I think it's due to the sexuality, the, the, the content. It um, touches on LGBT themes in quite graphic detail. It's a it's a girl um, coming of age and realizing that she's uh, attracted to same sex relationships, and it mm -hmm. is quite eloquently and elegantly done it's a really unusual book and it's very literary in tone even though um i came across it through some uh research for young adult literature that i was looking for and i think in a way that almost misrepresents it in that you know mm. you think it is a teenage young adult novel and i love those two pieces but this is a book that you shouldn't read with sort of specific labels on labels mm -hmm. um because it's so big it's almost like a fable sort of fairy tale effort and it's oh. translated by um a guy called Lawrence Schimmel who I uh follow online and is a really interesting translator because he works with some sort of unusual texts and yeah I think it appealed That's from cool. the start and then hearing its story I was like this this is actually a really unique unusual book trying to do something unique and unusual and this is the sort of text that should be very much easily very much easier available than it feels like it is sorry um just again to clarify is it banned in equatorial guinea or is it banned yeah as far in as i understand so it's banned in okay. equatorial guinea but it's widely and it just hasn't elsewhere. released yet in england no or has it not that I can see. It's feminist. Got it. Press. Okay. Is it in New in New York? Um, it's a New York based publisher, okay. from what I remember, and it's just not an easily available text here. I've mentioned it to a ton of people, and you know, you get blank looks, which is fine um, because it is. Yeah, I had never heard of it. Yeah. So, but I think um, it's it's so interesting in that these, and I think maybe what I'm reaching towards in this kind of convoluted manner is the fact that maybe these should be the stories that big, big, big commercial publishers should be looking for. Yeah, 
for sure. That's um, what happened with Frida and her paintings, too, is that she got super famous in Chicago and New York. Mm. And one of her, like, I think she was on uh, her, maybe not her deathbed, but on her sickbed. But they made, she made them move her bed so she could go to her first show in Mexico. So maybe what happens is that Obono gets famous in New York. And mm. then people in Equatorial Guinea are like, well, they like it, so maybe we should look at it. Um, or read it. <laughs> so, um, which is a really backwards way of doing things, but I do think that like any, any way you can inspire change that looks like tolerance is a, yes. is a method worth trying. <laughs> so, but yeah. that is cool, and I'm looking forward to um, seeing that. Also, does La Bastarda mean the girl bastard? Ah, uh, I think so. Is it from Spanish or French? I, I don't know. I'm ignorant of this. I would like, say what was it translated Spanish. From? Although my knowledge okay. is like so patchy at this point. I, I This was something I was thinking of as well when um, we were discussing about the idea of translated literary fiction. The mm-hmm. majority that... Um, I come across in the library in the shops is French, uh, maybe um, from Spanish background, Spanish-speaking Latina, Latinas. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But from yeah, I was context, thinking about that too. Um, right. Uh, most of the now that I'm thinking about it, most of the translated work that um, I come across is translated from Spanish, mm. um, not necessarily from Mexico. But I also am wondering, or I'm wondering if that's like a uh, a regional thing because I'm in Atlanta, so okay, that could be the case. Um, well, yeah, I th- occasionally someone who's already famous that's translated from like Norwegian or something like that. Yeah, there is a whole section of like the Norwegian dark crime Nordic thing, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then I'm, I'm also wondering too if part of the reason is because they like Spanish is easily translated into English. Whereas something that, like, there are many people who know both Spanish and English, so I imagine that it's somewhat easier to find a solid translator. Yeah, those people that know the language. Right, because I remember reading a translation of Anna Karenina and being like, what is going on here? I do not understand, just on the level of syntax, what Mm. is happening. So, I don't know. And then I've also heard, like, from... Um, Chinua Achebe and, um, oh my gosh, Chimamanda, I always get her last names switched. Um, oh, Ngozi, Ngozi Adichie. Adichie. Okay. Yeah, I always get those switched. I don't know why. Um, but they have said that tra- that um, it's very difficult to translate from um, Igbo mm. into English because Igbo is not really like a narrative language. So... Um, both of those books were originally written in English okay. because, uh, right. So it, it, but it doesn't, it, it definitely has like a lyrical quality that's different. Um, and I don't, I don't know what to make of that. It's just like some observations that I made. So I'm sure that there are many more people who are much more informed about that topic than I am, but that's just like after teaching world literature and stuff like that. Um, one of my, yeah. one of the parameters I put on myself was like, it has to have been translated from another language. Hmm. Um, but I, but I did make the exception for, um, those last two authors. Uh, 
But yeah, yeah, it just it's very interesting to me the way that like some of the syntax still comes over into English even though it's not in its original language. I think just, that's really cool when people can capture that rhythm and like the the um the mm-hmm. quality of a story that is, you know, from very different sort of contexts. Mm-hmm. One of the best um papers, academic papers I remember reading was about the Jolly Postman, which is this brilliant children's book series. Um, forgive me for the slight digression away from literary fiction, but it is relevant, I promise. Um, <laughs> it talks about how they translated the Jolly Postman, who is a guy who uh, delivers letters to various fairy tale characters into different languages, and it discussed how the translator found, you know, like an equivalent for um, these very British points of references in I think it was Dutch maybe um you know and it's cool. such an interesting thing because you're you're having to read when you read a book like this you read kind of what you think the original is but then you also read the the translator's version of it so there's all these layering of these different texts going on and you're kind of having to navigate right. your way through yeah um that is interesting and I imagine like I think it takes a really special person to be able to translate things. Like you have to be not only very well versed in at least two languages, mm. but understand that some words just they don't transfer. Like we don't have a word for that in English or whatever. Which is, um, I mean, we always make the joke, right? Like English isn't one language. That's why it's so hard to learn. It's actually three languages oh, sitting gosh. on each other's shoulders wearing a yeah. trench coat. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> It's like some, uh, I read this article and I'm going to link to it, of course, in the show notes about why we like untranslatable words. Like when you think about it, we've adopted mm. so many like ennui, karma, schadenfreude. That's one of my personal favorites. Um, zeitgeist. Um, and I know um, for me personally and several of my friends, um, all are like, not this is spe- this is not specific to several of my friends, but friends who grew up in language in, in homes that speak more than one language. All of my baby words were um, were Arabic words, and like a lot wow. of the swear words that I knew because I wasn't supposed to say bad words, but if I did them in Arabic, no one else knew what I was saying, <laughs> so it was fine. And of course, I was living in like rural Georgia, so if you're in like a place that speaks Arabic, they would know what you're yeah. saying, and it would be horrible to hear that come out of a, a child's mouth, but. Um, um, I know that some of those words too are hard to translate. Like even when I asked um, other Lebanese people in Lebanon, like what does haram mean? Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, it means forbidden. And I was like, well, that doesn't, that's not the way that my family used it. They used it to mean like, oh, that's pathetic. How embarrassing for you. Right. <laughs> like that's how, um, and so they were like, oh yeah, it also means like pitiful, but okay. that's like a really weird way of using that word. And so like, it's just, it's interesting when, um, I just, I feel like it's like an, an inside joke, right? Like if you say it and someone else understands, it's like, oh, I got you. Like, and that's kind of a cool <laughs> thing that translators get to uh, imagine, um, deal with. Um, like, for example, uh, another example, um, at, in when I was in my undergrad, and I don't know how they pulled this off, but it was like multiple departments funded um, Yusef Komanyaka to come read to us. And it was amazing. And I got the book. And uh, my stepmother is um, Filipina, but she also lived in Asia for a little while. Um, and the title of it was Dinky Dow. And um, 
Right, and she and I didn't know what that meant. Um, and she was like, "Oh, that that's the word that um, the Vietnamese soldiers used to describe the Americans as crazy. Like that was their wow. kind of crazy. Like that was a really like a, a very culturally specific mm-hmm. term um, f- that um, other veterans of the Vietnam War would know, but not really." anyone I think her father I can't get all of it right because this is like I'm just kind of like information dumping right now but this is a a topic that's really interesting to me because language is so fluid and just like any other art form it's like there is no true like ultimate like stand I mean we standardize it but that doesn't mean it's like true like if you look at old texts that were written in English like really old ones I can't read that like in a couple of generations, no one's going to be able to read cursive. So, yes. yeah. So it's just, it's interesting how it, how it um, adapts. Yeah. And you kind of have these moments, don't you? Of like the word is translated, as you say, with your usage of um, words that mean certain things in your family, but for others, it's totally different. You translate like that, that moment. Right. And some of that is connotation, but mm. right. Um. And then I, I just wanted to mention also one of my most recent favorite translations um, of Aladdin by Yasmin Seal. Um, and we'll link to that in the show notes too because I loved that story as a kid. And, and I know that it's not considered literary, but, but I think that's largely because it's an oral history. Oh, nice. Um, but I, I still wanted to tell everybody about it because... I want to be her friend so bad. She's so cool. <laughs> See, my problem with Aladdin is now I'm like, now you mentioned it, I'm working my way through the Disney soundtrack in my head. So I'm trying to like <laughs> step away from the power ballads and, and, and go, all right, okay. Yeah, good book. Right. Right. And I, and I didn't realize like, it's so interesting the way they fuse that music in that, in that movie because it's, it's like New Orleans jazz and Arabic music together, or Arabian music together, See, which is just real interesting. We need to do like a musical lip fix special <laughs> at some point in the future. Right. We need to make this work. Right. So how do you find translated works? Um, do you know what? Obviously, a lot of it is literally just through look. There's, you know, a vast amount of bookshops will have translated fiction. But as I've mentioned like earlier, it is from such specific cultural contexts and I think, mm-hmm. in a way, it's the ones that perhaps commercially are viable, that are successful. But you kind of ache every now and then for someone to take a risk and give me something from somewhere that I've never heard of. You know, for example, Equatorial Guinea. She says, subtly dropping a reference back into that uh, great book. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, you, you, you kind of get the... Um, the um, you kind of get the preconceived notion of what you should be reading in translated fiction. And that's not to say that it's wrong and it's not to say that it's um, inappropriate for you to read these books because, gosh, if I ever say anything is inappropriate to read, you can um, throw me onto the naughty step straight away. (laughs) But it is just that you should have more options here, I think. And related to that, you know, I was reading... um, a reference book the other day and there are some amazing books that don't even go anywhere near the English market and one of them that I am slightly obsessed with is a 
Norwegian kind of picture book graphic novel hybrid about um, a child and her mother and her mother's dealing with depression. And it's called, um, and I'm going to pronounce this as correctly as YouTube has taught me, so my apologies in advance, um, Horet Till Mama. And it's such an interesting looking book that is so unique. And yet, because I am English speaking and my Nordic languages are non-existent, I can't get anywhere near this literature. And I sort of think, you know, every now and then, maybe we should have more wild cards thrown out there. So, um, yeah, related to that, I think if you are a bookstore who specialises in these or actively searches out the weird and the wonderful and the diverse, beautiful, brilliant oddities in the world, uh, let us know and we'll happily give you a shout out. Oh, yeah, we would love to do that. Yeah, I think that'd be great because... We want to um, get these books into people's hands. And if you're part of that process and you're doing it with with great, you know, unusual things, yeah, talk to us. Yeah. All right. Shall we Um, go on to our current reads? Sure. All right. So, um, yeah, you were mentioning to me about a book called Magnetized, weren't you? Yes. So this book is 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 already released in spanish um the english release comes out in june but i'm reading an advanced copy um the book is called magnetized conversations with the serial killer and the author is carlos busqued um, but it's translated by samuel roder and so this is a book about an argentinian murderer uh and Although it is nonfiction, like you can tell it's nonfictional, the way that he has structured this and abridged some of the conversations and included just bizarre excerpts of the interviews that he conducted with this murderer, um, whose last name is Malogno, I think. Let me make sure. I probably mispronounced it, but Malogno is how is how it uh, looks phonetically to me. Um um, it's very interesting because you can tell that he's like diso- like the murderer was dissociated at the time and he's been in prison and served his sentence. But every psychiatrist that comes across him is like, no, he's not safe. Okay. Do not let him out of jail. So there's kind of like a legislative battle because he's technically should he served his sentence. So he should be released. But even in these interviews, he's like, oh, yeah, I have a dark presence and I'm a Satanist and I was raised in Santeria. But, wow, um, that's a way to get yourself released, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> right. That's very like he's like, that doesn't make me like a bad person. And I don't even remember killing those people. And it was just like seemingly random taxi drivers that he murdered. And I'm not spoiling anything because I haven't finished the book yet. But all of this is like in the beginning. And it is if you like horror, it is one that you should not miss because I mean, even the epigraph talk, it's like, I'm going to read it to you actually, because I can't not, because it's so short. And I was just immediately like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to read this at nighttime. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, um, ampere circuit law, a current that circulates via a conductor generates a magnetic field around the conductor. The intensity of the magnetic field is proportional to the current circulating. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> like, like, I don't know what to do with that. Um, but it's it's very good. 
Um, and that's, uh, again, Magnetized Conversations with a Serial Killer by Carlos Busquid. So, yeah. Oh, what are you reading right now? Uh, so, I, right, I went on a hunt for some, um, to see kind of what was in the shops and what I could get. And I ended up picking up a book that uh, the lady in the uh, charity shop looked very sympathetic as she handed it over. And she went, <laughs> oh, that is too big for me. That's too long. And I was like, look, love, I'm not reading this in a day. Trust me. Um, so I'm reading Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. And it is the 2013 Woo! translation by Christine uh, Donoher. And it is big. It is epic. But... Cool. I Are think it's one it of so those far? books that you can take slowly because if you're familiar with the story, and I suspect a vast amount of us already have some idea of what Lame is is all about. I think I um, asked you. You have a handle on what happens, so you can do it slowly and you can do it steadily. Uh, I remain Team Eponine in a thousand different ways, although I wish she'd get a grip earlier and go off and do her own thing quite happily. Um, but yeah. It's a good, solid book, but it does kind of prove the point that I think I was trying to stumble towards earlier is that, especially in the context that I, um, in the literary context that I exist in, is that you are presented with these kind of standard classics of translated fiction and um, I'm desperate for the weird strangeness, as it were. Well, I would like to take this time to thank our sponsors and thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe through however you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell all your friends about us. And we'd also really appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rating if you enjoyed this episode because it helps other people find us. Yes, please And you can find us individually. Yeah. Um, Louise, you want to? Yeah. So um, my website is didyoueverstoptothink.com and I'm on Twitter at chaletfan. Yeah, and um, this is Mary Kay. My author website is MaryKayMcBrayer.com, but I'm also on Twitter at MKMcBrayer and Instagram at Mary Kay McBrayer. I really just didn't overthink it. I was like, let's just use my name. It's fine. <laughs> this is good logic. Um, I like this. And if you like, uh, <laughs> and, um, if you like horror movies, um, you should give my comedy horror podcast a listen as well. It's called Everything Trying to Kill You, um, and that'll just be like a supplement to our literary fiction, <laughs> basically. Um, but thank you so much for thank listening, you. everyone. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.